Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Observer's Notebook podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as Astrolian Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. And for, a month, and for $10 a month, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com forward slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, you can for as little as $18 a year. For more information, find us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And yes, we are also on the Facebook Let's search for AL Astronomy. And also, this here podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy, please, what you, what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook. And now, episode 115 with editor of the Journal of the Association of Lunar Planetary Observers, Ken Pushedley. Hope you enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Today we have a return visitor to the guest, the editor-in-chief of the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, Ken Pichedley. Welcome back, Ken. Glad to be here. Great. Now, before we get into the topic today, which is going to be the journal and a few other things, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Okay. I, uh, I got interested in astronomy, uh, what we used to call space. Uh, when I was a kid around oh, 10, 11, 12 years old in the uh, early 60s. So I'm, uh, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I, saw, I saw the Beatles play live in Cleveland in 1966, my hometown. But anyway, got interested in astronomy uh, at that time. For one thing, because I recall an elementary school teacher, I'm not sure if it was a, a fifth grade teacher, hand copying onto the blackboard. Remember those blackboards with white chalk? Um, a uh, drawing of the moon with all of the seas and the Maria and the craters. Wow. He could uh, on a blackboard. Uh, and she had a, a paper in her hand and she was just kind of duplicating it. And I was just totally, just totally mesmerized by that. You know, we've all seen the moon, but I was just really, really interested in what she was doing. And then also, um, 
uh, being from Cleveland, um, I remember my mom and dad, they knew I liked space and astronomy. And they took me to what we now call, uh, I guess, a sidewalk astronomy event. Mm. One of the uh, Cleveland clubs, there are two of them, I found out now. <clears throat> but it had an event and, uh, in one of the suburbs uh, in an open field. Um, and if you uh, people who live in around Cleveland, this was up in uh, off of Warrensville Center Road. But uh, I remember there being refractors. Now, this is about 1961, 62, 63. And uh, just like many, many people, what got them really into it was uh, seeing Saturn. Mm. And I recall looking through a refractor and seeing Saturn, and I thought, this is really cool. So that's how I, I really got into it, and I made my mind up. I wanted to go into astronomy as a career. <clears throat> it didn't work out in the long run because... Uh, mathematics and me didn't really get along. I never flunked it, but it was just really, really tough. Um, I found that out in high school that it would be better if I chose something else, and I wound up um, going into uh, journalism and did that for a number of years and segued into technical writing many years later. And uh, But I kept my interest in astronomy uh, as sort of like, oh, I wish I could have, but it's better that I didn't. And then uh, around 1989, I rediscovered it as a hobby. And about a year or two later, I purchased a used Criterion telescope from um, a friend who had passed away from his estate. Was that the old RV6? The old RV6. Ah, yeah, I had one of those. Yeah. And um, got to be a real expert on it. But, of course, it, I'm usually a day late and a dollar short. That's what <laughs> happens when I join clubs and so forth. And it wasn't until after I bought that <clears throat> that I found out uh, that Criterion had long gone. It was purchased mm -hmm. by Bausch and Lomb six or seven years earlier. And uh, there's another long story to that. But anyway, I kept it for many years, got to be a real expert on it, and, uh, and kept it going. And that's how I got really, you know, uh, my interest in astronomy, and it stayed. Now, now you're, you're, you said you're from Cleveland? Or outskirts of Cleveland. Cleveland. Uh, I was born on the uh, near west side of Cleveland in what's called the Tremont uh, area. My mom and dad are originally from uh, the very rural part of Pennsylvania, Clearfield County. They okay. were farmers and that, and moved to Cleveland for my dad's factory job. I was born nine years after they moved to Cleveland, so I was born and raised there and proud of it. And then uh, lived on the east side of Cleveland near uh, John Adams high school, my first 21 years, and then we moved to the what's called the Old Brooklyn section of Cleveland, um, and then after college, I wound up moving into uh, Lakewood and then moved down here to Atlanta in 1984, but yeah, uh, Cleveland, I just I just uh, never really cut the strings. It's yeah. a great, great city, and that's just the way it is. Great football team. <laughs> this year. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so being from Cleveland, was, was it a dark sky area or were you pretty limited to just the moon and planets? I, I always was. I, I didn't know when I was really young that you could mm -hmm. differentiate between deep sky observers and lunar planetary observers. I just looked at the sky. I got to know the constellations pretty well. Uh, living in the city, but not in downtown, but in a residential area. Okay. I guess my limiting magnitude, looking back on it now, is probably magnitude four, three or okay. four, something like that. 
And, um, uh, you know, we had streetlights and stuff, but I mean, the moon and planets, I mean, let's face it, it's got to be pretty, pretty bad if you can't see the moon right, right. from where you are. But, um, yeah, I just made, you know, you, you make do with what you have. And, you know, my father was a factory worker. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a roof over our head and food on the table. So we didn't have a lot of um, uh, luxuries and things to do this and to do that. But, you know, I I did some observing. I was given a one-inch Tasco tabletop refractor for my first telescope, which I really, I still have. Oh, my. Uh, oh, I was so proud of that. And, um, I mean, you know, the eyepiece that's on it is the eyepiece that's on it. And um, uh, then some years later, uh, probably 1964 or so, uh, an uncle of mine gave me, he made a, uh, a refractor telescope for me with a drain pipe and <laughs> some uh, optics from, uh, I forgot the name of the uh, science company. Probably and, Edmund uh, or something? It wasn't Edmund, but it was something similar. Okay. You know? Anyway, uh, and I had a tripod, I mean, a real homemade broomstick tripod that he put together. I mean, he really did that for me. I still have it, but oh, wow. you know, not used. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was basically looking at the moon and Venus, mm-hmm. what there is to see of it, uh, Jupiter and Saturn. Basically, that's all I could do from where I was. So how did you discover the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers? Um, going back to the early 60s, um, at the public library, the Cleveland Public Library, one of the branches, there was a book that I borrowed. Uh, and if I remember correctly, I might be wrong, but it was in the children's room. It was called Sky Observer's Guide. Mm-hmm. I think that was the cover, but it was the children's book, but it wasn't cartoons, but it was the children's type, but it was, was it, astronomy. It, it's a pocketbook, basically. No, no, it was a little larger than a pocketbook. Oh, okay. But it wasn't a full-size, you know, children's giant book. It wasn't like the big book of this or that, something in between. And in the back of that book were a series of um, a listing of uh, what you would probably call now other sources or other things, you know. And there was a listing for the ALPO and a listing for the AAVSO, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. So I, uh, this was, this had to be 1962. So I wrote a letter to Walter Haas, Mm -hmm. founder and executive director. And uh, he wrote back to me. And um, I don't know where I got the money because we didn't have a checking account. I forgot what the dues were. But one way or the other, I joined the Alpo. And uh, I stayed with it until about 1965, 66. I was really mesmerized by the, the beautiful, beautiful drawings and, and sketch work uh, by people like Clark uh, Chapman and so forth. But, you know, the, the trigonometric or the calculus or whatever the, you call those equations that were in there, <laughs> just, you know, I thought, oh, no. Uh-huh. So I dropped out, and then that was about 65, 66. And then, as I said, about, um, about 1990, I rediscovered the association and uh, rejoined, and uh, it was like it was like meeting an old brother or a friend that you hadn't seen for many many years. I discovered there were so many changes in telescopes and interests and everything, but that's how I found out about the Alpo was through the back of a book in the public library. Okay, 
Now, have you ever contributed to any of the sections? Observing? Um, in a general way, um, I would talk with this or that uh, coordinator and mention that I had seen this or seen that. But I, you know, when I joined, electronic imaging was still a thing for the professionals. Um, so my only contributions at the time when I rejoined were probably a written paragraph or two here and there. That, that's all I could do. Okay. All right. Well, in your in your life in astronomy, who do you think has influenced you the most? Um, you know, you don't know who you influence yourself or anybody until many years later. Uh, there, there was one um, one gentleman that influenced me. He's he's passed away now, but in the again the early sixties. My dad used to take me to the Cleveland uh, Planetarium, which was part of the, the Cleveland uh, History Natural History Museum. And um, the guy who did the shows, and this is before the tape, uh, you know, the taped canned shows, uh, he did a live show. His name was Dan Snow. And uh, he did live shows, and um, they didn't have laser pointers. He had some kind of a pointer, I guess. But um, he... I would go back week after week. My dad would take me week after week. And let's face it, it was the same show for the whole month. And I didn't care, you know. So Dan Snow really uh, got my uh, enthusiasm going. And um, I got to say that 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 uh, teacher that I mentioned earlier that I saw drawing on a map right. of the moon probably did it as well. But those are the two who come to mind. Okay. Now, do you have uh, current observing equipment, current telescopes? Yeah. Um, I kept my RV-6 up until only about two years ago or so, oh. or three years ago. And um, I'm one of those people, when I sell something off, I don't want to sell it to somebody that's going to trash it after six or seven months, no matter what it is. Right. <clears throat> and I let it be known on the, uh, there's a, uh, a criterion um you know, list, email list out there. And now it's on Facebook as well. And I let it be known that I was looking to sell the scope. And a guy out in, I forgot if it was Washington State or Oregon, got, uh, he contacted me and we came to an agreement. And uh, he sound, and we talked on the phone. He's pretty uh, knowledgeable. And he, he already has us an RV6, but he would like mine. So uh, we agreed on a price. And... Um, I packaged it up and uh, sent it off to him. And quite honestly, I didn't make a penny on it because all of the money that I was going to make on it went to shipping. Oh, yeah. So, But it was just as well that it went to a good home. And uh, right after that, um, I purchased a what you call new old stock, uh, Celestron AVX eight-inch Newtonian uh, from the uh, supply left by uh, a guy here who had a, a really good camera and optics store in Metro Atlanta. The name of the place was Camera Bug. And the guy passed away unexpectedly from illness. And he had a lot, a lot of stuff in his inventory. So I purchased the, um, uh, the Celestron eight-inch and then I wound up getting an AVX mount 
through another astronomy friend here, Steve Seedentop, who is also in the Alpo and, and a big contributor to this podcast. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And he lives only a few minutes from me. Um, he had a friend who was selling off his AVX mount. So uh, one thing led to another. So I have an AVX mount with my AVX 8-inch Newtonian. And uh, Steve himself was starting to kind of uh, cull some of his <laughs> supplies. And he sold off to me a Celestron 6-inch refractor, which is really the AVX refractor that would still go with it. So I have a 6-inch Celestron <laughs> refractor. And I've got the 8-inch AVX Newtonian and the AVX mount. And um, I got a set of eyepieces that I bought from Steve. Mm -hmm. And I got one hell of a boatload of the crappiest weather for the last year. <laughs> oh, my. Well, yeah. But it sounds like it's a nice uh, nice group of telescopes that you yeah. have to, to choose yeah. from and to use. Yeah. Great. Now you are the editor of, as I mentioned earlier, of the uh, the uh, journal of the Association of Lunar Planetary Observers. Can you give us a little history of the uh, of the magazine? Well, to be um, a little more uh, detailed about this, um, I am officially the well. The Alpo is organized into what they call sections. It was founded by Walter Haas, I think, in nineteen forty-seven, and mm -hmm. modeled against the British Astronomical Association, the BAA, and they are organized uh, by interests, by sections, observing sections, as is the ALPO itself. And um, we have, I break it down myself into interest sections, such as uh, the online section and uh, so forth, which, you know, you're a real big head of, as well as observing sections for the planets, the comets, meteors, and stuff like that. And... Um, um, I, I'm the publications manager or coordinator of the, I'm the, I'm the coordinator of the publication section. Okay. okay. And then by default, I became editor of the journal, uh, in 2001 when my predecessor, uh, a fine man, uh, Mr. John Westfall, uh, decided to retire from it. He stayed in the organization for many years. Yep. passed away only about, I think, two years ago. And so with my background in journalism, publications, editing, and technical writing, um, I was uh, tasked with taking over the journal at that time. So I'm the editor and publisher. And then about a year or so ago, um, I, I contacted uh, another gentleman, uh, Sean Dillis, uh, who lives up near Washington, D.C. in Virginia. <clears throat> and uh, he is really, I call him the editor. Okay. So I'm the publication section coordinator, and I continue to do the electronic layout of the journal, and I back up Sean, and uh, he, he is now the person who uh, I have appointed to um, get the science papers and proofread them, and then he passes them along to me. So uh, if any of the listeners have background in publications editing, I uh, would like to talk with you because I've been doing this since 2001 for the Alpo, and I would love to uh, talk to someone who would like to possibly help me out or even assume 
the uh, layout responsibilities, the electronic layout responsibilities of the journal. It's, you've been doing it a long time, but a very good job, I'll say. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, so, by the way, I'm a member of the, well, <clears throat> I joined the Society for Technical Communication, Professional Society, back in 1987, and it was only in the last few years that I decided to enter the journal into one of their competitions, even though it's not business-oriented. And um, about uh, two years ago or so, uh, the journal received a merit award from the uh, Society for Technical Communication for oh, wow. work. So well, there you go. Very good. And it's I've been a member of the Outpost since 1972. And I've seen quite the quite the evolution of the journal, yeah. In, in all those years, I mean, uh, from what it was back then to what it is now. Plus, now it's also, as you mentioned, available online as a PDF. Yes. So, and that division, that version has color pages and all sorts of things in it, to, and hot links that you, you go to, you know, yeah. links uh, to the stories the, and stuff. The so original journal was on eight and a half by eleven paper. It was mm -hmm. mimeographed. Um, if I remember correctly, it was founded primarily to allow uh, enthusiastic lunar and planetary uh, solar system observers to exchange data with each other. Right. And possibly get the eye and ear of the professional community. If I recall correctly, I heard that Walter was very frustrated. Now, he was not an astronomer. He was a mathematician, um, originally from Youngstown, Ohio. And there's a long history to, you know, his career, but he wound up finally settling out at Las Cruces, New Mexico. But he was very frustrated with the professional community regarding amateurs as so-so, who cares? Mm -hmm. And uh, thus, he founded the Alpo, and uh, it was interesting that, you know, the amateur community were the people who, well, I guess, I get dirty looks from the professionals when I say <laughs> the amateurs, I say, we make the discoveries and the professionals make the announcements. Mm. At least. There's a lot of cases where that's true. That is, that is so true. And um, so, you know, Walter did the thing. It was monthly at first. Uh, then it came out a little less frequently, maybe semi-monthly and then quarterly or, you know, whatever. Um, he did it all the way into the 60s, you know. Eventually, it went from 8.5 by 11 stapled at the corner mm -hmm. to a, a booklet on an odd-sized paper. Right. I don't know why, but it was. And that's the way it stayed. Uh, Walter turned it over to Harry Jamison, mm -hmm. who was the executive director, and then um, he also was editor, and then <clears throat> he turned it over to John Westfall at some point, and he did it. And, uh, and then I've done it, and I turned it into a, a true quarterly. It comes out at about the change of each of the seasons. Now, you and Sean actually give us deadlines to get our articles in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, people are usually pretty good about that. And then uh, when I took it over, I changed the format completely to 8.5 by 11 mm -hmm. uh, in a booklet style, a true, you know, saddle stitch. And now it's not even saddle stitched. It's bound on the spine with, uh, uh, you can read, you know, um, what the issue is in the name. And then uh, also as a PDF. Now, the hard copy is still published, but it's black and white inside pages because 
we do not have a budget that will allow us to print the full issue in color, but the PDF, of course, like you said, full color throughout with uh, PDF hyperlinks and uh, so forth and so on. Now, how many do we uh, print on a month on a our, current, current, uh, actual? We're, we're a small player. Our circulation total. Um, let's see. Our sec, our membership secretary is Matt Will, and we print something in the neighborhood. Well, it's under four hundred. It's under maybe three hundred, or maybe it's a okay. lot less. It's a lot less hard copies. That's true, because at least half of the membership gets it electronically only, right. PDF only. So the number of people who get it by hard copy is going down. But there will always be that because among our distribution uh, are those in you know public libraries and professional facilities who stock the book. Okay. Now, one of the reasons we want to sit down and talk right now is because you just released the uh, spring 2021 edition of the yep. journal, and it's it's larger than normal. Yes. Yeah, talk uh, to us about that. The, the journal is usually um, uh, about equal in a page count to maybe something like Sky and Telescope magazine. But in this issue, uh, we um, happen to have some very very professionally written papers by uh, one guy named Daryl Wilson, who did the third in a series of three papers on what is called lunar thermal imaging with a specific kind of a electronic camera. It's not your typical CCD camera or webcam. It's a certain device that he describes. So it's, uh, it's probably as expensive as a high-end CCD camera, I'm guessing, but you'd have to see the journal. And um, like I said, uh, that paper includes um, techniques and, and how to interpret the images that you get for getting um, images that have to do with sensing the color, or uh, which is based on temperature of lunar surfaces uh, during the various times of the lunar month. So that's the best I can explain that. Uh, another paper is by Richard Wilds who did a thing, uh, simply explained it has to do with grazing occultations, when the moon grazes a planet. Uh, mm -hmm. and he calls it Luna Cognita, I think is what he calls it. But um, it gets very technical, and, you know, uh, if you're really into planetary occultations, this is the thing to see. This issue also includes some other great papers. We have uh, planet. we have... Um, apparition report on um, I've got if it's Saturn or Venus, one or the other, because next month it's going to be the other planet. Uh, we have a, uh, another one of our solar system, our solar Carrington rotation reports by Rick Hill. Yes, and Steve Jacques also wrote a real nice article about yeah. uh, observational astronomy. Yeah, yeah. One of uh, your most successful, as I know it, uh, students. Uh, they're all successful if they pass. <laughs> so let's see. Let's say that Stephen's enthusiasm Steve has not wavered. Yeah, in fact, the previous podcast was actually an encore of one he did with me, I think episode three. Yeah. And it was just so good, I wanted to release it again for yeah. all the new people I, yeah, out there. And, uh, you know, and then other things in the journal include 
uh, reports what the various observing and interest sections are doing, uh, spotlighting any of their most uh, most uh, active members who are really uh, submitting good uh, over-the-top mm -hmm. reports or anything like that. So it it takes a lot of work, but I believe that it, it's a it's a very valuable to to the membership to see how much work is going on. You, you've got people out there who like astronomy that kind of go out on the back porch and look up and say, oh, very nice, mm -hmm. and they go back in the house. And then you've got other people who practically live in a field. <laughs> right. And that's all they do. Right. Well, you, you actually wrote uh, a point of view article in this issue, too, that talks about who writes the journal. You do. Yes. Because yep. you're, I mean, because that's basically it. I mean, it's... It, it, you don't write the articles, you know, they get submitted to you. And that's right. Do you have limitations to what type of articles people can submit? Uh, has to be about solar system astronomy, observational astronomy. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it cannot be also printed or published anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, and if, if it's reasonably well written you know we can uh use it and um that's the big thing we are an organization that is dedicated to observational astronomy uh and you know we can talk about hubble and all the various other uh, you know orbiting satellites and so forth but uh we have members who uh do work that is comparable to what's out there as a matter of fact uh, as we as we do this podcast at the end of March, um, the other day, uh, yesterday, I saw an article on uh, CNN.com where there was a paper printed or published in another science journal. I think it's called Planetary Science Journal or something like that. And it had to do with um, seasons on the planet Saturn. And it included hmm. a, uh, a, a nice, the article included a nice image of Saturn, okay, and, you know, they did, they talked about the 29 and a half years of Saturn doing this and that and the other, well, it came across to me as if uh, somebody just discovered that Saturn had season, <laughs> okay, and we knew this all along, Alpo people knew this all along, the images done by people like Clyde Foster and so forth, who contribute to the Saturn observing section, mm -hmm. and and uh, Larry Owens, who is another uh, member here who lives local to me in Atlanta, their images are probably equal to anything that Hubble does. You, you get your electronics set right, you get the right sky conditions and yep. you know, the good seeing conditions. You know, you take a look at the journals, and you will see. And by the way, let me let everybody know, you can go out there and uh, view or download all of the journals up until the current year from the Alpo website. So uh, we'll talk about how to get at it later on. Okay. Yeah, now, so can do you have to be a member to contribute to the journal? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, well, our membership is so expensive. I mean, it's membership 18, is so expensive. Yes, it's eighteen dollars a year. Dollars. <laughs> that uh, eighteen dollars. Uh, and by the way, I think we're we're less than the AA VSO. We're considerably less 
than belonging to the AAS. And these are all fine, fine, fine organizations. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about our due structure. The uh, American Astronomical Society, the American Association of Variable Star Observers. Um, I know we're less than the Astronomical Society of the Pacific, the ASP. Mm-hmm. And probably, the, I know that we're even less than even um, membership in the local astronomy club here in Atlanta. Yeah, I, we're less than the local one here too. I mean, it's yeah. and yeah. and the eighteen dollar membership is that digital version where you yes. get yes. The, the, the 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 their journal in color with all the links inside of it. And plus, you can also join the training program once you do that, and all sorts of other things benefits that you can have by joining for only $18. So it's, yeah, it's quite the bargain, yeah. I think. Yeah. And if you want to get the hard copy, well, you know, the dues is more expensive because you're going to pay for that. And by the way, if you do decide to join and get the hard copy membership, you will also get the PDF file as well. But yeah, you're right. The basic membership for one year, uh, four issues is only 18 bucks. Yeah. It's quite the deal. Worldwide, yeah, and it's uh, if you want uh, if you want four issues of the paper journal, it's I think forty five. So oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's I mean it's still the deal. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. still still wor- still worth it. Yeah. All right. So we also have advertisements within the journal. Yeah. Basically, those are. Supporting memberships, you could call it that. On the outside back cover, mm-hmm. 1960, we're proud to have Sky and Telescope magazine as a uh, the longest supporting advertiser. Wow! And uh, that's their ad is always on the outside back cover, and uh, on the inside front cover, uh, we've only had them for I think the last year. We're very proud to add Celestron mm-hmm. to our and uh, the inside front cover, full page ad from Celestron, and uh, for the time being, that's it. We, you know, we will take uh, full-page ads, half-page ads, quarter-page ads. Uh, if you're looking to sell equipment, we can always put something in there for you, but uh, there's no way that we could meet our publication costs by just using advertising dollars, mm-hmm. or else the whole issue would be advertising because our rates are so low. Right, right, right. There are a couple quarter page ads sprinkled throughout the yeah, thing, but not nothing. Yeah. Nothing major. Yeah. So you're not getting you're not getting a typical magazine that you would buy today that's half half ads. No. That's no. It's great. Um so that oh, that goes into the membership levels we have in the Oppo. We talked about, you know, if you want uh, yeah, the journal. Yeah, membership levels are as we talked about, and then there are people who do donate uh, a lot of extra money. We have, we, mm-hmm. like any other nonprofit organization, <clears throat> we have uh, sustaining memberships, and uh, I, you know, uh, I think there's one or two levels above that, depending on how much extra you do mm-hmm. donate towards the organization. Great. Is there anything else you want to talk about? in regard to the journal? Well, the uh, I'm working currently on the journal that will be coming out uh, at the very end of May, beginning of June. You know, it's seasonal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, 
I want to announce, uh, let's make sure everybody knows that um, it will include, again, <clears throat> the um, uh, a repeat announcement about our upcoming, what I call a conference. We mm -hmm. used to call it a convention when everybody went, but I call it a conference, the uh, 2021 ALPO conference, where uh, papers, science, astronomy, papers will be presented. And... Um, it's going to be online, so it's going to be just like this, virtual, but it'll be visual as well as audio. And that will be Friday, August 13th, and Saturday, August 14th. And again, you do have to be a member to present a paper, but you do not have to be a member to participate as a viewer. And you can participate either through Zoom uh, or you can participate, if I recall correctly, by, uh, you correct me on this, uh, is it by the YouTube channel? The Alpo uh, YouTube channel? Yeah, the YouTube channel. Okay. And uh, the hours of presentation will be in the Eastern time zone here uh, from 1 to 5 on both that Friday and Saturday. And um, we've done it that way so that people who live out where Tim lives, out in California, which are three hours earlier, um, they can participate because it'll be from 10 to 1 California time. And, right. uh, and there's no charge for attending? No charge. All you have to do is contact me, send me an email, and yep. I will put you on the list to be right. notified of the Zoom link when we, when we set that all right. up. Right, right. And then there will be a board meeting of the executive board of the ALPO. That'll be on, uh, I'm not sure if it'll be Friday evening or Saturday It's usually, it's usually Friday night, yeah. Yeah. And then on Saturday after the board meeting, we'll have a, uh, a speaker. Now, when we had the event, uh, when it was true people to people and, you know, in person, um, following the uh, last talk, people would head back to their hotel rooms. Uh, change, come back and eat and have dinner in the dining room, which was, you know, provided by the uh, the hotel where we were staying. And then after that, we would have, uh, we would present some awards. We have a service award. Uh, and then we have an observing award. And then this past, <clears throat> this past year, we just started a uh, general I guess you could call it uh, Astronomy Award name for one of my most valued members who passed away, unfortunately, a few years ago, the Michael D. Reynolds Astronomy Award for uh, contributions to astronomy in general, for promoting astronomy. So we have three awards that we could present, and then that uh, will be followed by um, a, a talk, a general talk. It won't be a tech talk. It will be a, a talk about astronomy or something like that. So think of it as a dinner. So if you do participate and you're in the Eastern time zone, have dinner in front of your computer screen while <laughs> the speaker is going at it. There you go. <laughs> Works. Yeah. 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 Great. Now, um, getting back to you for a little bit, but, um, do you have tips that you would give someone that was just starting out in astronomy? A lot of people want to go out and buy a scope. And I, I hesitate to encourage that. I recommend that people, first of all, uh, go to 
go to an, a, 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 well, when you can do this, okay? Get together with a local club when they're having an outside event, uh, an observing event, and um, look at and look through the scopes that they have. You don't want to go and buy something that you're going to find to be too big and unusable. And then you don't want to find, you know, you don't want to cheap out and buy a, a $60 telescope that's going to be crap and it, get, it gets used once and it sits in the closet and you, you, you will never do astronomy again because of that one bad purchase. So the best thing to do is go someplace where they're having an observing event and uh, participate as, a, as an interested person. Then you might consider getting a really nice pair of binoculars. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, if they're most powerful, you need to put them on a stand or a tripod or something, but get a pair of binoculars to help you get started. You're not going to see a lot of deep sky objects, but you will be able to see good views of the moon, uh, Venus, uh, Jupiter, and Saturn, but you will get a taste of what you could see with, with a, a very good scope. And then later on, after you decide if you want a refractor or a reflector or a schmidt cassegrain or this or that, you know, that comes later. Just like when you buy a car, you, you don't know what you want to buy until you look at and test drive. And so go at it slow. Don't blow your money. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And there, there's one thing that I've been hitting on lately too. It's if, if you buy yourself a telescope, you need to temper your expectations of what things are going to look like through it. Not in color. <laughs> Jupiter's not going to look like a Hubble Space Telescope photo. Right. Saturn's not going to look like that. The moon doesn't look like that. Right. You, and well, part, the moon is pretty much black and white. <laughs> <laughs> right. But part of observing is and using a telescope is learning how to observe. Yeah. And that's one thing I stress in the training program because we're not only training your hand to make a drawing, but we're training to, your eyeball to see yes. more detail. And yes. the only way you can do that is time at the telescope. Let me let me add this. Uh, I'm doing this without permission of Matt Will, but those of you out there listening who um, would like to learn how to observe, well, Steve, how do you pronounce his name? Zekas? Zekas. Yeah. His article in the brand new journal that was just released a few months ago, um, is really, really good. Mm -hmm. And even though you have to be a member to get uh, the newest Alpo journal, which we, which we subtitled The Strolling Astronomer, um, those of you who are listening that would like to uh, read up on Steve Zikas' article on how to observe, get in touch with Tim Robertson, and we'll make sure that we can get to you a, a PDF copy of that yep. journal. Definitely. I can do that. I can, I can definitely do that. And also, like I mentioned, Steve was also in the last podcast talking about the training program and his experiences in it. So yes. it's yes. always a good thing. We have, we have some coordinators out there. If those of you who listen to this podcast regularly, you'll hear people like Carl Hergenrother, who is the comments section coordinator. Every time I hear Carl do his thing on the podcast about this comment and that comment, I can't wait to go home and get my stuff set up mm -hmm. 
and, and observe, but it's cloudy. But <laughs> Carl, Carl is one of the most inspirational speakers. He's not a dull person to listen to. He's yeah. very enthusiastic about his interests. And that's just one person in the organization. Yeah, Bob Lunsford's the same way with the Bob media Lunsford, section. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 he, he's made me renew my interest in watching meteor showers. Yes. So yeah, that's we. That's very true. Very true. You can see things through the uh, smoke from the forest fires. It's a good thing. Yeah. Well, we're lucky right now. We don't have any fires out here. So astronomy books. Yeah. You mentioned the Sky Observer's Guide. Uh, what books have you worn well, out? Uh, I've got a lot of books that have I've looked through. <laughs> Too many to mention. Mm-hmm. But I've got a, a few good books that I will even now bring out and look at. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> One is uh, is the it's the it's the lunar atlas that most people send or tend to quote or refer to. There's there's dozens of lunar atlases out there, and I'm sure that some are better than others. But uh, the late Antonin Ruckel mm-hmm. uh, did Atlas of the Moon. I'm looking at it on my on my bookshelf right now as we're talking. Right. right. It came out in the early 90s, and he did a revised edition of it in the late 90s or early, early 2000s. It was published by Sky and Telescope. I think it's out of print, but to show you how valuable it is now, if you go on Amazon and try to find it, you're looking for a pretty penny. I mean, hundreds of dollars to get right. one in good condition. It's hardbound. And I'm proud to say that um, uh, I found it what is called the Peach State Stargaze back in 1994 here in uh, North Georgia. And uh, over the years, I brought in big uh, speakers and grew the event to several hundred people a year. And it was in 2000 that we brought uh, Mr. Ruckel and his wife over to be our featured speaker for that spring. That was when the event was held in the spring, the spring 2000 Peach State Stargaze. Um, and people asked him, why did you use red in some of your, in your maps, in some of your maps, you know, not everything was black, but he had some highlighted stuff in red. Why did you do that? Because when you're using red light, you know, the red disappears. And he said, well, when I observe the moon, I don't worry about using a red light. I use a white light. And then everybody goes, Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> so, so um, you know, there's uh, Atlas of the Moon. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I just, I've got other books that I pull out every so often and read. So there's, there was uh, the Urban, Urban Astronomy book by a guy out of Chicago. I think he passed away. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot of books. I've got the Carl Sagan series, a whole bunch of them. His book on comets, his book on astronomy. I yeah. Mean, you know, just a lot of stuff. Great, great, great. Yeah, um, you are active in your local astronomy club. I believe it's the Charles Elliott Astronomy Club there in Georgia. Well, we have the Atlanta Astronomy Club. Okay. Okay. And it meets <clears throat> when we were meeting together. Uh, we were meeting at the Fernbank Science Center, and uh, that's in town. That's in the um, in, in town of Atlanta, really in an area called Decatur. But there's a, a group of people who really live pretty far out in the country, <clears throat> and they put together a what's called a chapter of the Atlanta Astronomy Club, and it meets 
at a location called the Charlie Elliott Wildlife Area. And it's about a good 30, 40 miles out southeast of uh, town. And um, so it's, it's the Charlie Elliott Astronomy Club, and it's a chapter of the Atlanta Astronomy Club. So those are the two clubs. There is another club south of us in a suburb or a town called Griffin, and that's called the Flint River Astronomy Clubs. And I think there are some smaller clubs associated with some of the colleges, but those are the those are the three clubs. Great, great, yeah. They, they I follow the Charles Elliott Club on Facebook, and they are very, very active. Yes, we. I don't know when this podcast is. Do you have a Do you have a publication date for this podcast? Um, early April, yeah. Well, on April tenth, uh, the Charlie Elliott Club will be again meeting online. And our featured speaker will be Dr. Michelle Fowler, who is one of the subject matter experts uh, that's always on the series called How the Universe Works, which is carried on the the Science Channel on uh, cable TV. Oh, wow. Uh, We've had uh, Will Terrian from the Netherlands. Yeah, I was online Uh, for that one. That was a great discussion on on Star Atlas. And I had him at the 2002 State Stargate. We brought him in from the Netherlands. We had Don Macholt, who is another mm-hmm. Alpo person, who is a very, very noted. He's up there with David Levy on comet discoveries and yep. so forth. So, April 10th, uh, 1 o'clock p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. If you're interested, get in touch with Tim, and we'll get you the information on how to log in. Yeah, that's and that's available on the Charles Elliott uh, Facebook page, right? Facebook page, yeah. Uh, on the Charlie Elliott Facebook page, uh, Charlie Elliott Astronomy Facebook page. Uh, the Charlie Elliott has a blog page uh, online at is it CE Astronomy. That's one word, no dots. CE Astronomy dot org dot org. And Great. poke around there, and um, you'll see the full write up about what's going on for the most part. Okay. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before I let you go? Join. Join and enjoy. Thank you. Well, Ken, once again, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. My pleasure. All right. You take care and have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. I again want to thank Ken Pichetli for coming on the podcast today and uh, talking about the journal. Uh, We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can now listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you'll receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support of The Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is available in the show notes. And if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. And until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening, and stay healthy. Stay healthy.